All right, well, welcome back. Uh, we're, we're just going to jump right in. No precursors. Although we did hear uh, that one of our daughters, Emily, is pregnant. So, yay. I already have a grand dog. Now we'll see what we do with the grandchild. I don't know. All right, uh, if you'll look at the board, you'll see that we are in Mark chapter 4. Uh, last time we met, we were in uh, Mark chapter 3. We're going to jump over into chapter 5 as well. Outline under two uh, events we're going to examine. If you recall last time, we looked at Jesus uh, rebuking the Pharisees for them saying that he is casting out demons by the, the, the prince of demons and him blasting that and actually uh, praising those who, who, who were sitting at his feet. Uh, subsequent to that, we read in, in Mark that uh, he, he shared some parables. We're jumping ahead to after having said that, we'll see that uh, under outline point number one, he's stealing a wild sea. Uh, and that's a famous event that uh, all the uh, synoptics record of Jesus stilling or calming the sea. Uh, we're going to examine that. And then on the heels of that, having gone across the lake, he then, he then saves a wild soul. Uh, and that's an uh, understatement. And that's point two of our outline. I think I got it all in there for the podcast. You, I think they, they can figure that out. You guys can figure that out at home. All right. Well, the crowds have pressed in on Jesus, and uh, he has even been out on a boat away from the shore to use as his sort of podium to get away from the crowds. And now it's the end of the day, and now we read what we're going to read in chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. Um, and in fact, because of the comments that, that Tom made, I'll probably just read, uh, I'll read these so that they can hear them. So in your own Bibles, or on your own little you know, magic boxes. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. Now on that day in the evening had come, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. And by other side, he means, of course, the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Leaving the multitude, they took him along with them just as he was in the boat. Other boats were there with him. There arose a fierce gale of wind. The waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was being already filling up. He himself was in the stern asleep on a cushion. They awoke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. The wind died down and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Um, we've seen miracles up to now of Jesus righting the wrongs of a fallen creation, healing, demons being expelled, uh, people being saved. Here we have one that he is demonstrating his authority even over the elements. Uh, here we get our first glimpse that, and of course the, the disciples are there with, with everyone saying, now who is this guy? Uh, here we see the first glimpse of us recognizing his deity. And interestingly, what's, inter what's cool about this little, um, what I always loved about this particular little episode is that you get both Jesus' humanity and deity side by side. His humanity pictured, of course, in the fact that he was tired and he went to sleep. And again, we, 
We today have tr more trouble with Jesus' humanity. People earlier on had more trouble, of course, with his deity. They saw him. He was there. They saw him sleep. They saw him get tired. Uh, so he's sleeping. And by the way, this is the only time in the Gospels, in this particular story, that we have a record of Jesus sleeping. Not that this is the only time he did. It's the only time it's recorded. But he's human. Fully human. But he is also able to command the elements. Fully divine. But there's more going on here as well. And it's a, it's a lesson, too, about uh, the disciples and learning who Jesus is in their faith. Well, the setting is pretty easy for us. They're, you know, they, he says, let's go to the other side. Now, is it just to get away so he can rest? Is there a real desire to get to the other side, which is largely Gentile, which we're going to learn from chapter 5, in order to proclaim the good news there? We're not told. But we do know that he's tired, and they, we're told that they took him just as he is. Did you see that little... So he didn't, go, he didn't go get anything else. They just, as he was, tired and all, they, just, they just took off. Now, this lake, we call it the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, there's other names for it. Um, but it's really a lake. And it's, you know, for those of you who have been to the Great Lakes, it's hard to imagine those are lakes because it's so big. Uh, well, this, of course, is nowhere near that. But it is a large body of water, uh, about 14 miles wide at its widest. I mean, long at its longest, about seven miles wide at its widest. So good size. And it's not unusual for there to be storms that come down through that valley. It's also 700 feet below sea level. That's crazy. Um, so it's a gully into which a lot of, uh, a lot of weather can happen. And it, it's not unusual for stuff like this to happen. Uh, that, you know, people that wanted to test all this out took boats out on the lake during storms, and some of these waves can get up to seven feet. So, yeah, significant, uh, even though it's a lake. Uh, boats, what about kind of, what kind of boat are they in? Here we have some archaeological evidence, interestingly enough. Uh, not long ago, a boat was, was actually unearthed, or demucked, if you want to think of it that way. It was in the, the muck of the shore and was discovered. Um, about, about 25 feet long, about seven feet wide, so not bad. It looks like it had both, it had, had it both at the bow and the stern raised, uh, raised decks. It could be used as sails or four oars, so good-sized boats as well. We're told that the storm comes up, and Jesus is sleeping in the storm, <laughs> during the storm. Um, you probably have, someone is notorious in your family being able to sleep through anything. You may be that notorious person. Um, oh, I'm seeing glances at people. So, but you know, you hear people say, oh, a cannon could go off in the room and you know, that kind of stuff. Well, here, uh, Jesus is sleeping through the storm. And of course, uh, you know, he's, he's one with the Father as well. So, um, and you have the, the disciples mildly sort of rebuking you. And not actually, not even mild, mild. It's, don't you care? That we're drowning? Uh, don't you care we're perishing here? What? Come on. Now, notice there's a little implicit faith, though, there. It's not complete despair. Why wake Jesus? He's a carpenter. That's, you know, he's, he's a teacher. What's he going to do? Well, obviously, there's some implicit faith that he can do something. The implication is, so before we just blast him, 
at least they know that Jesus should be able to do something. But they, they don't know what until it actually happens. And I love sort of the, it's sort of underplayed uh, almost. Because now that he's awake, now that they've said, don't you care, uh, he rebukes the wind and says to the sea. So, rebuke the wind, just, and then says to the sea, shh, be calm. That's it. I love that. You know, we have a tendency to think of him, you know, standing on the bow. You know, those great Western art, you know, of Jesus doing this is him standing on the bow. And it's, you know, that kind of thing. You know, Charlton Heston-esque, you know, doing the, the whole. But it's, it's much more, you know, oh, guys. Be still. Like that. So there, because <laughs> dead calm ensues. That's what we're told. Dead calm ensues. And then, on the heels of them having rebuked Jesus, Jesus rebukes them. And it's mild. Why are you so timid? Why are you freaking out if we were doing it today? What, what is the deal? Don't you have faith? Haven't you been, you've been with me? You've seen these things. Sounds curiously like, oh, I don't know, me? Uh, you? You know, gee, how many times, you know, do we have to see God work? How many times do we have to see Jesus be faithful and then we still freak out? And I'm sure it could be with us. You know, what? what? Why are you freaking out? Where's your faith? Don't you have faith? And of course, they were afraid of the storm. That was what they were afraid of. Now we're told on the heels of this, and they became very much afraid. Now they're afraid of him. Now, maybe not, you know, afraid like, oh, he's going to whoop us. But there's this sort of no place in their mind for what they've just seen, what they've just experienced. Who is this? A sort of hushed awe. Of what is this? Who is this guy? And of course, we know, but at the time, I mean, really, who is this guy that the, the wind obeys him? The sea obeys him. Um, early on, as you can imagine, in, the, in, in church history, this was used as sort of a metaphor for the church itself. Early on, because of persecution, uh, the, the church saw themselves as the people in the vessel with the tempest of persecution all around them and Jesus being with them so they have nothing to fear. In fact, some of the earliest church art and catacombs, those sorts of things, is picturing the church as a boat with Jesus in its midst. And as long as Jesus is in our midst, we need not fear. So aside from the quite literal story itself, which is one of those stories that people who, who you know, miracles can't happen. This is one of those biggies that they point to as saying, see, this is all legend. This can't happen. So this kind of miracle, showing the deity of Christ alongside the humanity of Christ, it's also applicable for us, as we've already done so, that when we are in life's tempests, we have to remember who is with us. Don't we have faith? 
So there's that for us as well. Now the last question in chapter 4 here is, who is this guy? Well, in chapter 5, we're going to meet an unlikely mouthpiece for who is this guy. And it's a man possessed not by a demon, but by a myriad, a legion of demons. Now, we're about to embark on a strange story. Okay? It's, it's not just, we've already encountered Jesus rebuking demons and seeing people healed of demon possession. And we've already talked a little bit about why demonic activity seems at a peak when Jesus, of course, is on the earth, then you have demonic, physical demonic activity at a peak as well as a clash. We went into a lot more detail, and I don't wanna, I'm not going to rehash it all, but uh, it's, we've seen that before, but this, this one has a little bit of difference in just the setting and how it takes place. Some odd things go on here. So it has uh, generated quite a few questions uh, throughout the centuries as to what's going on here. Right away, before we read it, just know that it's in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel in chapter 8, both recorded. But in Matthew's Gospel, there are two who are possessed. We're told of two men. Here we're only told of one, same as in Luke. So either there's a contradiction or... Luke and, and Mark only record the main dude, all right? So there's no real contradiction, at least I don't think so. Additionally, all three Gospels have a different name for where they are. So you probably heard the story of the Gadarene demoniac. Well, that's Matthew, Gadara, the region of Gadara. Here we're reading about the Gerizim demoniac, the region of Gezara, I mean, Garaza, okay? And then in... Luke's account, some of the older manuscripts I wrote, um, have the Gergesene. You're thinking, okay, what is it? Well, the, they didn't know. That's why there's that. There is a town that fits the description on the, 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 the other side of the lake called Cursa. Gerza, Ger, you know, so there's probably some, some mix-up over the centuries, but it's in that region. The two regions that are mentioned are like 30 miles away. From the sea, so uh, just I just want y'all to be aware of that that that's that that's there. But I don't think it's necessarily a problem. I think the the writers themselves were trying to figure out well, where where is this place. All that being said, they do get across the the lake, and here's what happens. So point two, after having looked at sa uh, stilling a wild sea, we're going to get saving a wild soul, and that's an understatement, by the way. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerizines. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He had his dwelling among the tombs. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. The chains had been torn apart by him, the shackles broken into pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night, day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out, gashing himself with stones. Now, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up, bowed down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he'd been saying, meaning Jesus, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What's your name? 
And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to entreat him earnestly not to send them out of the, con- out of the country. So right away, that's just bizarre. Okay, it's, it's just very, very different. Um, probably while they're still in the boats. Probably, it could be night, which makes it creepier, right? Because it doesn't take that long to get across, a couple hours. Uh, but there was a storm in the middle of it. Who knows? We don't, we're not told the time. But when they get across, uh, it's, and it's a Gentile region, by the way. It's not a Jewish region anymore. Um, and it's in the, re- the region of what's called the Decapolis. We'll hear about that in a moment. But it's on the east side of the lake. They get there, and probably this guy, seeing the boat, comes rushing out. Because it appears that he's already, he's running out. Because he's a wild man, okay? He's a, I put soul just so I'd have the S, by the way. Because what are men but souls? All right, cool. So he runs out, and we, we get some backstory on this guy. Um, and he's crazy. I mean, it's just, that's, what's, that's what you should get here. Crazy and scary. Um, they've tried, the people in the region have tried to maybe help or at least just get rid of him, chaining him, whatever. He's living among the tombs, which is the haunt of demons. Often people, you know, associated it with that. He's gashing himself, cutting. Here's our first instance of, of, of reading. You know, that's, it's not a new phenomenon. It's not the first instance even. It's, that's just a thing. Uh, so he's, he's, he's got mental issues because of everything that's going on with this guy. Uh, it, it's, and as you read, as we read it, did you notice often it's singular? You know, I and he, in reference to the, the, the person. Often it's plural. It is sort of a jumble and it seems confusing. And I think it rightly reflects the psychology of the situation, of, of what's going on with this, this person who is beset with, with demons, uh, intent on his destruction. And of course, initially, um, he runs out to do the, the, the normal thing he does to scare people away from where he's living. That's why, you know, people don't go around there. And he's rushing out to do the same thing and stops short. Because where the disciples said, who is this guy? Here you have demons who recognize immediately who is this guy which is kind of cool but ironic is it not but it's always they who recognize Jesus right away and in a loud voice he says why are you what what do you what do we have in common why are you here what have I to do with you son of the most high God the most high God is a very Gentile expression Other places in Scripture where that is used, it's when Gentiles are referencing the God of the Hebrews, the Most High God. So again, kind of hearkening to this Gentile land, son of the Most High God, but the demon speaking through him, or demons, and again, is it demons? Is it a spokesperson for the demons? And I don't think we need to figure it out. It's just a mess, right? This guy's a mess. The whole thing's a mess. And don't torment me. Don't torture me. Because remember, we're told Jesus came to put an end to the works of the devil. And they recognize this. So they're, don't, what, don't torment me. 
And Jesus had been saying, come out. We were already told that he had been saying this. And then he says, what is your name? Now, is he asking the man? Is he asking the demon or demons? Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What is your name? And of course, there's no name given. There's a number. I'm legion. Uh, a Roman legion was about 5,400 foot soldiers, the remainder in, as cavalry, uh, and, but 6,000 loosely. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean, people used, like we use the term legion, just to mean a bunch, right? His problems are legion. No one stops you and says, you mean 6,000? I mean, it's just a lot, right? Of course, that term also carried connotations of the Romans themselves. There are some who read this as pointing also to, you know, the desire to expel the Romans. Uh, I think we're reading a little too much in it at that point. But there are those, you know, comparisons. Legion because there's so many. And then notice um, I, earlier on that this demon, or it could be the man through the demon still, Say, I implore you by God. He's swearing by God. Don't torment me. Don't torture me. So it's not like devils don't believe. Uh, they believe. In fact, way more than us most of the time. Uh, notice Jesus asked the disciples, where is your faith? Well, here's not believing faith, but there is belief. There's no question about what the demons understand about who God is. I will often challenge our students to, for us to rise to the level of a demon's belief. In other words, don't go about any of your day where this doesn't affect you. Well, this affects him. And then he begs. He begs him not to send him out of the country. Oh, we like this place. <laughs> You know, we like our place among the tombs. Uh, so there's, a, there's, there's an entreaty, there's begging. See, so it's, it's really odd. Um, well, let's see what happens. He gets odder. And I think most of you are familiar with the story. The beginning of verse 11. I'm going to, hold on a sec. Take a swig of water, for those of you not here. <laughs> beginning of verse 11 of chapter 5. Now, there was a big herd of swine feeding there on the mountain, lest we need any more proof this is not Jewish country anymore. All right. The demons entreated him, saying, send us into them, into the swine, so that we enter into them. He gave them permission. Coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. Of course, what do we know about swine? Unclean spirits? They're un the swine, pigs are unclean. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them. They were drowned in the sea. Now the herdsmen ran away, reported to the city and out in the country. The people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus, observed the man that had been demon-possessed, sitting down. He was clothed in his right mind. The very man who had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to entreat him to depart from their region. 
And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him. But he said to him, he, he wouldn't let him, and said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So as if it needed to get stranger. It gets stranger. So nearby, there is, you know, pigs rooting around, a large, large number of them. And the demon, demons, say, well, can we go there? In other words, they're at least in the region. Now, why would they want to do that? Now, I'm not going to go into diabolical psychology at this point. I, I don't know. It, but it can't be good. Okay, in other words, uh, maybe there's even a part of them that says, oh, if we do this, we know we're going to destroy the pigs, and then that'll, that'll show Jesus, because they're going to blame him. Yeah, I don't know. We, we just don't know. But Jesus gives them, you notice, permission. Even that, they need permission. Part of it probably has to do, too, with this guy, who who knows how long he's been tormented in this way. For him to be reassured and see what happens, you know, over on that hill, having heard Jesus say, you may go, and then having seen what happens to these pigs, there's probably some reassurance for the guy who's just been delivered as well. There's sort of proof of, of, of these demons are no longer with me. They have been expelled. There's a little bit of, uh, of that going on, I think, as well. But of course, then the real question is, nowadays, what about the poor pigs? Right? I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, really, uh, what about the livelihood of those who are watching the pigs? Yeah. Uh, so there are people who go, whoa, what's going on here? Why would Jesus do such a thing? Um, well, part A, uh, being drowned is actually deliverance for the pigs. That's okay. Remember, they're demon-possessed. So there's a deliverance there for them. B, though, there's probably a larger lesson going on here in that this guy, uh, we don't know how much this guy, you know, people have tried to help this guy. But he's from, and he's among them. And, and now we see a real contrast because now these pigs have drowned and the swine herders have gone and have told everyone and they've all come back. Now we've got two things going on here. We've got two spectacles. We've got pig carcasses floating in the lake. Lots of them. And we've got this guy who's calm, who's, who's whole, He's rational. He's clothed. He's all of those things. Now, what are the people going to focus on? Now, here's, here's I think, where we come in, where the lesson kind of really strikes us as to, you know, forget about, okay, well, what about the pigs? But, yeah, the pigs died, but look at this guy. Look at the deliverance because of the death of the pigs. Now, where are the people going to focus their attention? Lost money? Or restored soul. A person has been brought back. And we see where they focus. They're afraid, 
A, is he going to do this to the rest of our pigs? Probably. They're afraid. And look at, they're afraid of what they see in this man. How often are we the doubters off, you know, of, well, yeah, the person's okay, but, but what about, and we, we kind of step away from the restoration of a soul that shocks us, it scares us sometimes, almost as if they've lost something. Sometimes, what is it about us that sometimes wishes things were actually worse? And then we hear about, well, no, the guy's been restored. Like, oh. We read about maybe someone we really hated. And then we read in the paper that they've repented or they've changed their mind and they're asking forgiveness. And we're, oh, there was some fun in hating them. And now we see this contrast. So they ask him to leave. And notice he goes, no, no, no. He, he leaves. But here's the interesting thing. This man asked to go with him. As, yeah, right? Well, can I come? And Jesus doesn't let him. He granted a request of the demons, but he doesn't grant this guy's request. Notice, again, maybe a little lesson for us in prayer, sometimes the answer is no. This was point blank, no. Because there was something greater he wanted him to do. And he tells him what he wants him to do. I want you to stay here and go proclaim what has happened to you. Whereas in the Jewish lands, he would tell people, shh, keep it on the down low. Because of the potential for them to, you know, thrust him up into this messianic role prematurely. Whereas in the Decapolis, that's ten cities, Deca, Paulus, ten cities, that region, which is, by the way, sort of it's a little, a little Gentile enclave that's protected by Rome, the Roman procurator of Syria protected them, and it was sort of like little city-states, interestingly. Here he says, you go, because you're going into these Gentile lands. No one's going to misconstrue what's going on. So he tells him to freely go and proclaim. Here we have our first apostle to the Gentiles, because he sent Apostello, and he's going to the Gentiles. And we're told the people marvel because of it. There's probably a lot of unanswered questions about this. I still have a lot of unanswered questions about it as well. It's just so bizarre. Uh, and, you know, I, no one I don't think can answer them fully. But I think in both cases here, though, we see Jesus stealing two types of storms, you know, the both literal and figurative. The storm of the soul in the actual real storm. And in both cases, we see the application that we go through storms, of course, where's our faith? Jesus is with us. But we are also this demoniac. You know, when Paul describes in Ephesians what it's like before we come to Christ, that we are dead in our trespasses, in our sins. There's nothing about us that is worthy. We're in evil. Well, that sounds like this guy. And as grand as this deliverance is, equally grand is your deliverance and my deliverance from the state I was in. And just like he tells this Gentile convert, no, you stay and I want you to go and proclaim what the Lord has done for you.
That's us as well. Let's go proclaim now what the Lord has done for us. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, for uh, this time we could share together. Uh, we recognize that during these weird times that just being able to be together and gather around your word is, is a gift and a blessing. Pray that we take uh, from our lesson this morning uh, the truth that your Holy Spirit would, uh, would zero in on our hearts and on our souls and that uh, we would recognize that A, we, we really have no reason to fear and B, we have a reason to go proclaim. With that in mind, we now go into this week praying that uh, we represent you, your kingdom, well. For it's in the name of Jesus, our King, that we pray this. Amen. And happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas. We're in, the, in that nether world now. We're, we're in both. Well, it's just, okay. Well, I didn't get a chance to tell you Happy Thanksgiving. So. And now my sign off. And uh, goodbye, podcast people. <laughs>